Good morning, St. Tom's. The Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 40, reading verses 1 to 11. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me there. He brought me in visions of God to the land of Israel and set me down upon a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, a man was there, whose appearance shone like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. The man said to me, Mortal, look closely and listen attentively, and set your mind upon all that I shall show you, for you were brought here in order that I might show it to you, declare all that you see to the house of Israel. Now there was a wall all around the outside area of the, of the temple area. The length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a hand, hand breadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed. Then he went into the gateway facing east, going up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate one reed deep. There were recesses, and each recess was one reed wide and one reed deep, and the space between the recesses, five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the vestibule of the gate at the inner end was one reed deep. Then he measured the inner vestibule of the gateway, one cubit. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and its pilasters, two cubits, and the vestibule of the gate was at the inner end. There were three recesses on either side of the east gate. The three were of the same size and the pilasters on either side were of the same size. Then he measured the width of the opening of the gateway, 10 cubits, and the width of the gateway, 13 cubits. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi everyone. So what encourages you? When you're down, emails from a friend, Bible verses, passing Spoonville on your walk. Maybe it's hearing of low case numbers. I'm sure we have all needed encouragement in these past few months. And we're all hoping for encouraging news from the Premier today. This morning, we're looking at the book of Ezekiel. In this book, the Israelites are in exile far from their home and desperately in need of encouragement. And so I want to think today, what would have encouraged them at that time? Ezekiel was written over a 22 year time span. So it covers the time well before and after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon. And the book of Ezekiel is divided into three parts. Chapters one to 24 contain God's warning of judgment on his people. Chapters 25 to 32 have words of judgment on other countries around them. And even though the last section from chapter 33 starts with the climax of God's judgment, the rest is full of words of encouragement, words of hope, of blessing, of healing, including words about the eternal king in the line of David. And today's passage is from within that third part. And it's the start of what I think 
is a very strange section. There are seven chapters dedicated to a vision of a temple. 202 verses go into great detail about this temple, which was never actually built. It has never been built, and yet there are more verses describing this temple than the temple that Solomon actually built. Why is there so much attention and detail given to a temple that has never been built? And I believe it was there to encourage the Israelites. And I think it can also be a huge encouragement to us. Let's think for a while about what the purpose of the temple was. The first version of the temple was a tabernacle which God told the Israelites to construct after they left Egypt. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The important words here are, and I will dwell among them. The tabernacle symbolised God's presence with them. Firstly, the tabernacle and then later the temple that Solomon built. Both were there to represent God's presence with them, God's glory with them. But the temple didn't just symbolise God's presence with them. It also showed people the reality of their sin. It showed them that sin leads to death, that sin needs a sacrifice. The temple was full of ceremony and symbolism and sacrifice, all to help people understand their sin and their need to be careful in approaching the holy, perfect God. And that's why there were so many details about the construction of the temple. As it said in, in the verses I just read in Exodus, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. That's why it needed to be so exact to help the Israelites understand just how holy God is, just how sinful they are, and just how significant it was that the holy God would dwell among these sinful people. And so the Israelites wandered in the desert with the tabernacle, entered and conquered the promised land, most of the promised land under Joshua's leadership, after constantly failing to stay faithful to God through the book of Judges, God submitted to their request and gave them a king. Saul, David, and eventually it was Solomon who built the real temple. And yet the Israelites' rebellion, which can be seen at the foot of Mount Sinai when they made that golden calf and declared those hor horrific words, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This rebellious heart continued to be evident right through the time of the kings until they were taken captive. They continued to prostitute themselves to other gods. They were warned time and time again, obey God and you will know blessing or continue to rebel against God and you will be punished. You will lose your promised land. Moses said it. Joshua said it, the judges said it, the prophets said it, but they kept bowing down to foreign gods. 
And so finally God does what he said he would do. He punished them. He handed them over to their enemies. And in Ezekiel chapter 2, we have a fair assessment of the Israelites. Verses 3 and 4. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. God's judgment is symbolized in one of Ezekiel's visions in chapter 11, when we see God's spirit withdraw from the temple. Chapter 11, verse 23, the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. This is the worst punishment. God's glory, God's presence left the temple. It was the time of judgment. God was right to withdraw his presence. God's punishment is just. And this part of Ezekiel's visions would have been deeply discouraging for the Israelites. It would have left them gutted. And then in chapter 33, we have the climax of God's judgment in Ezekiel. I'll read these words. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has fallen. Jerusalem, the city they love, the temple they love, the royal family they love, destroyed. The God they called their own abandoned them. They are devastated. And I think it's hard for us to imagine that sort of devastation that the Israelites would have felt at that time. When we first heard the gospel, chances are at the same time we heard about our sin and the judgment that brings, we would have also heard of God's grace of forgiveness through Jesus' death. We would have quickly known that it's okay, God has a rescue plan. But for the Israelites to hear that God had withdrawn his presence from their temple, that their city was destroyed, I suspect they would have felt utterly devastated and probably aware that they only had themselves to blame. The temple represented God's presence with them, but God's presence had left. God was right and just and fair to withdraw his presence. He would have been right and just and fair if he had done it back at Mount Sinai. His patience with them has been incomprehensible. But even though he was absolutely right to withdraw from them, even though they did not deserve a fraction of his mercy, God showed mercy. This announcement of the loss of Jerusalem marks the climax of God's judgment, the lowest point, but it's also the turning point of the book of Ezekiel. The mood changes from utter devastation to hope, encouragement, healing. Let's read some of these passages. Chapter 34, verses 22 onwards. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. 
I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. And from chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land. I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. Chapter 37, verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. And then from today's passage, from chapter 40, we have the description of the temple. Just re reading verses 4 and 5, The man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you, for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six long cubits, each of which was a cubit in handbreadth. He measured the wall. It was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. And so he goes on, detail after detail, chapter after chapter, describing this temple. Why is this passage there? For the same reason as the actual temple. Let's have a look at chapter 43, verses 1 to 5. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing water, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I'd seen by the Kibo River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Here we see God's glory returning to the temple. He didn't need to, but in his mercy, he came back. And oh, how the remnant of Israel living in a foreign land, having lost everything, must have felt encouraged. God is showing that he's still with them. This vision of the temple showed them God's presence and it also reminds them of their sin. In verse 10 of chapter 43, Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sin. The model of the temple is there to help them recognize their sin, their weakness, their need for forgiveness, their need for a sacrifice. And how did Ezekiel respond? When he saw this vision of God's glory, absolutely appropriately, he fell face down. Six times in Ezekiel, we're told that he fell face down when he saw God's glory. Let's read Ezekiel 44 verse 4. 
I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. The people of Israel living in Babylon would have been gutted at first when they heard the vision of God leaving the temple and then heard of Jerusalem falling. But with this vision of a temple where God's presence returns, it would have been deeply encouraging for them. God had not abandoned them. The promise of God's presence, God being with us, can overcome any number of trials, hardships and uncertainties. God's presence is enough. And we who live on the other side of the New Testament know that Jesus is our temple, the person through whom sinful man can connect with the holy God. Jesus came and dwelt among us. And he's given us his spirit to dwell in us so that even we can be called the temple of God. God is with us too. And that is why we have good reason to be encouraged by this vision too. We too deserve to be abandoned, but God hasn't abandoned us. He's dwelling with us. And whether that is in lockdown, in sickness, in uncertainty, in depression, in poverty, God is with us. Instead of judgment, there's the opportunity for forgiveness. God is present and he wants to be known. In the book of Ezekiel, it's written 65 times the words, then they will know that I am the Lord. God wants to be known. A number of you uh, have been praying for us each March and August as we headed off to youth camp in Japan. It's a great ministry, uh, but it was always a huge challenge for me personally because it was so exhausting. From the 6am morning exercises on the Oval, speaking Japanese all day, leading small groups, running games, just talking to people and then finally about midnight collapsing onto a thin mattress squashed between two other people. The stink of the pit toilet nearby and the bugs were indescribable. And last year I remember arriving and I was already exhausted when I first arrived at camp and I just felt so weak and so overwhelmed that I actually ended up going for a bit of a walk around the back and, and having a cry because I felt like I couldn't face it. But when I finally did walk into the meeting, there on the overhead were the words from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In many ways, Japan for me felt like a season of weakness. I always felt insufficient for the task I was being asked to do. But that weakness led me to depend on him. It led me to pray in desperation to beg for help, to teach the Bible, to lead, disciple that lady, to lead that youth group. And he provided. 
I never achieved perfect Japanese, but he was always with me and he gave me just what I needed, enough to communicate his message, but not so much that I might become independent or conceited. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by life. The problems seem too big. The task before us seems too difficult and we don't, we don't feel uh, that we're competent enough. But this vision reminds us that he is with us and we have nothing to fear. He is with us in our work, he is with us in our families and he will grow his kingdom. Or in contrast, sometimes we become arrogant and we think that we are in charge, that we're the Lord, that it depends on us. But as we fill our hearts and our minds with the vision of God in his glory, returning to his temple, dwelling with his people, we too fall down and worship and remember that it's all about him. Whether something is successful or whether it fails, it's all about him and not us. No shame for us, no glory for us. Just the privilege of worship. I know missionaries can feel like the Israelites in exile sometimes. And you guys have been so great at encouraging us over the years, at praying for us, providing for us. You guys get a gold star. And whether you're serving God here or whether one day you go to a faraway place, living each moment in the truth of God's presence keeps everything in perspective. Let's fill our hearts with the vision, the vision of Ezekiel. God is with us in all his glory, ready to be worshipped. And it's this truth that we proclaim to our neighbours and to the ends of the earth. To finish, I want to turn to the last chapter of Ezekiel, where a vision of a new city is described in detail. A city for all of God's people. And what is the name of this city? Chapter 48, verse 35. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this vision. Thank you for this temple that reminds us that you came back, that you are merciful, that you forgive, that you are with us. Help us to live with this truth front and centre in our hearts each day. As we start to enjoy new freedoms in the coming days and weeks, help us to not replace you with people and places and things as the Israelites did. May we fall down and worship each day. And we pray that you will help us to continue to share this truth with others, those who are near and those in faraway places. We pray that you'll help Japanese people to come to understand that you are near and don't need to be feared. May everything be for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.